I'll invite you now to stand with me as I'm just going to read the introduction really to this story uh, for the sake of time this morning. Verses 1 through 7 of Genesis 27. When Isaac was old and his eyes were dim so that he could not see, he called Esau, his older son, and said to him, my son. And he answered, here I am. He said, behold, I am old. I do not know the day of my death. Now then, take your weapons, your quiver and your bow and go out to the field and hunt game for me. Prepare for me delicious food such as I love and bring it to me that I may eat, that my soul may bless you before I die. Now, Rebekah was listening when Isaac spoke to his son Esau. So when Esau went to the field to hunt for game and bring it, Rebekah said to her son Jacob, I heard your father speak to your brother Esau, bring me game and prepare for me delicious food that I might eat it and bless you before the Lord before I die. Let's pray together. Our God, we begin this morning by praying for your work in our world. And we pray, God, for this current pandemic in which we find ourselves and we ask you again that you will bring a swift end to it, that you will put an end to the death and the sickness in our world. But we recognize, God, in this moment, we are called to make wise choices, so help us to continue to do that. And we do pray for the day and we ask, God, that it would come quickly, that the entire church that is Nansman River Baptist Church can gather again in one room, shoulder to shoulder, singing praises to our God, studying the word prayerfully together. But until that day comes, God, we are grateful for our opportunity to be in here and to be joined by many online with us. Thank you, God, for that technology and that ability to do so. Fathers, we turn now to your word We pray that you will enlighten our eyes. Help us to see your truth because your word is truth. Let us know it because it is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. This morning's sermon is entitled, Undeserved Blessing. You likely, if have spent much time around church, have heard this story before. Even if you haven't, this is one of those stories that has permeated some into secular culture that people will sometimes tell as a moral tale of deception, lies, deceit within a family, favoritism, not trusting someone else. If that's what we take from Genesis 27 then we've certainly missed the point. What what I want to do, because we're going to approach this text somewhat different than we do, uh, is I'm not going to necessarily deal with it chronologically, and we may have people in the room or joining us online who don't know this story. I just want to pick up where I left off and and at least tell the story, at least the story proper, really the, the account that happens here in the main section of this text. So Isaac's called his favorite son in and sent him out to go hunt towards the end of his life to bring him food and is going to speak blessing over it. Rebecca, who favors the other twin, Jacob, hears this and seizes the opportunity to send her son, Jacob, their son, but her favorite, into his father while Esau is out hunting so that, Esau, so that Isaac, who is now dim of sight, the scripture tells us, this is how blind he is, but 
it's become difficult for him to see. He's, he's of old age now. So that they could deceive him and get a blessing for Jacob instead of Esau. This deception works and Isaac, received, Isaac gives Jacob the blessing instead of the older brother Esau. Later, Esau returns to find that his blessing has been stolen by his brother. A tale, a true story, but it, from a secular point of view, a tale that someone could tell to, to be on the guard, to look out for deception. And if we were to pull this out of scripture and just tell it like it's a story or just read it in isolation of what we've learned in the rest of Genesis, we may walk away with one of two misconceptions about this story. The first is that Esau is a victim. You can tell this story and really treat Esau like he is done wrong. Like he's just the older brother trying to please his father. And while the older brother is out in the fields trying to please his father, in comes the deceiver, the heel grabber is what the name Jacob means. In comes Jacob and their scheming mother to try to steal that blessing away. Oh, Esau, I was so victimized here in this story. But that is a complete misconception of the text. The second misconception would be somehow that Jacob is the hero. This is more likely how someone who is raised from a Christian background that has heard this story over and over and knows how Genesis ends, knows really how the whole Bible ends. And we look at Jacob as having done right, that he's the hero that it's okay, somehow justified in his actions and his mother's actions because it's ultimately what God wanted, isn't it? And because it's ultimately what God wanted, then Jacob is fine shortcutting the path of God and deceiving his father and stealing from his brother. Listen. For us to rightly approach Genesis chapter 27, we must understand that neither of these brothers deserve the blessing of God. They are both undeserving. And to really see the truth that God is revealing here in this text, we must approach it as if Jacob and Esau are both wrong. They are both sinful. And neither deserve the blessing. Now, again, we don't read this in isolation. We're approaching this text with some things that we've already learned. The first is that when Rebekah was pregnant with Jacob and Esau, God spoke to her about who would ultimately receive the blessing. God says in Genesis 25, verse 23, and the Lord said to her, two nations are in your womb and two people from within you shall be divided. The one shall be stronger than the other and the older shall serve the younger. So God has already established who would receive the blessing. We looked at this passage two weeks ago here in this series, and we said under no uncertain terms that God is the one in control here. And, and before these boys were born, God wasn't leading it up to chance. God wasn't basing this off of some type of action. He, when these children were still in the womb, says, the younger, who is Jacob, would ultimately be the one to receive the blessing. Now, because how these boys grow up, possibly because of this word that the Lord has spoken to Rebecca, we also know this to be true from Genesis 25, that 
Mom favored one and dad favored one. We read that when the boys grew up, Esau was a skillful hunter, a man of the field, while Jacob was a quiet man dwelling in tents. So Esau, man's man. Jacob, more quiet, reserved, a thinker. Now Isaac loved Esau because he ate of his game. But Rebekah loved Jacob. We're not told why Rebekah loved Jacob, but it stands to uh, make sense here. He dwelt in tents. He was around his mother more. His mother had received this promise from the Lord about him. We're told why Isaac loves Esau. Because he goes hunting for him. He brings him food. We're told on more than one occasion here in Genesis 27 that he loved the food that his older son ate. So we don't go into Genesis 27 fresh without any information. We know what the Lord is going to do. And we know how these parents have favored one child on one hand and another child on another. And both of those things matter. That contextual information is very important for how we approach this. So because the the goal here of this sermon really is to show how both Esau and Jacob are wholly undeserving of the blessing, instead of dealing with it chronologically, I'm, I'm going to deal with one of these men and then the other. So let's look at what happens with Esau in this story. First, Esau marries the wrong women. Now, that's not in Genesis 27. It's actually in Genesis 26. When we looked at Genesis 26 last week, the only chapter of the Bible fully devoted to the life of Isaac. And then you get this strange little two-verse paragraph at the end that moves from Isaac to Esau. It tells us this. When Esau was 40 years old, he took Judith, the daughter of Barai, the Hittite, to be his wife, and Basemath, the daughter of Elon, the Hittite, and they made life bitter for Isaac and Rebekah. Now, you, you could say that since it's Valentine's Day, this would be a perfect opportunity for me to preach the woes of selecting the wrong wife. But I don't know anything about selecting the wrong wife because my wife is perfect in every way. <laughs> so I can't tell you anything about selecting the wrong wife. So we're just gonna stick with the text, okay? He, here's what we know. Esau at 40, the same age his, his father was when he got married. This is important. When, when Isaac was 40, Abraham sent his servant back to Mesopotamia, where Abraham was from, back to his kindred there to select a wife for Isaac. Her name is Rebekah. Brings Rebekah to Isaac. We saw this a few weeks ago. At 40. Well, Esau, now 40. Time to get married. Dad got married at 40. It's time for me to get married at 40. But he shortcuts what should be done. What should be done? He should not marry a Canaanite woman. I know they're called Hittite women here, but Canaanite is the, is the umbrella term for all of the tribes that were living in that land. Hittite's a smaller version of Canaanite, all right? They're gonna be called Canaanites later uh, in the text. It's the same thing, all right? So, but he doesn't want to go. He doesn't want to do what God would want him to do. He does what he wants to do. And so he goes and actually has plural marriage. He marries two different women, both Hittites. And verse 35 says, they made life bitter for Isaac and Rebekah. Not just for Rebekah, even though Rebekah later in the text is going to express her disdain for her daughter-in-laws. So why is this important? Why do we need this little nugget of information in between 
what we looked at last week with the life of Isaac and what we see now at the end of Isaac's life with Jacob and Esau and this blessing, why give us this little piece of information? Because it's revealing something about Esau's heart. Esau has taken it upon himself to marry, not doing it the way God wanted him to do, but doing it his own way. Once again, showing his disdain for his birthright. He's already shown that once when he sold his birthright to his brother and hated it. He's done that again here by going and marrying a woman of the land, which God did not desire for Abraham's descendants to do. Kind of as bookends of this story. It's why I saved these last verses of 26 and we're going into 28 this week, is because there's kind of bookends to this story. And both of them center around Esau marrying the wrong woman. You see, these first two women weren't the only wrong women that he marries. You get to the very end of the story in Genesis 28, 8, and 9, and we read this. So when Esau saw that the Canaanite women did not please Isaac, his father, you notice it says nothing about Rebekah. Esau does not care that mama didn't like these girls, but it did matter that dad didn't. Esau went to Ishmael. He goes to his, what, half uncle? And took as his wife, besides the wives he had, Mahalath, the daughter of Ishmael, Abraham's son, the sister of Naboth. So what does he do? He recognizes that these two women were out of step with what his dad wants for him, but he still doesn't do what he should have done. He's still not going back to, which by this point, Jacob's on his way to do. He doesn't do that. He tries to make up for it, but he goes and he finds Ishmael, his half uncle, and marries one of his daughters. Now, the connection to Ishmael should not be missed for us. Ishmael, the son of Abraham, through his wife's servant, also attempting to shortcut the will of God. Doing Ishmael is the product of Abraham doing exactly what Esau was doing. Ishmael, who did not receive the promise of God, while Isaac did. Esau as well, not receiving the promise. So we see this similarity between Esau and Ishmael marrying women of the land both at the beginning and at the end of this story, revealing to us Ishmael's heart, no desire to do what should be done, but doing just what he wants to do. Now, we go back into 27, and we, when we get through the story of, of Jacob deceiving Isaac along with the help of his mother, Esau comes in from the fields and realizes what has happened and goes to his father and has this conversation where he refuses to accept responsibility for selling his birthright. Listen, starting verse 34. As soon as Esau heard the words of his father, he cried out with an exceedingly great and bitter cry and said to his father, bless me, even me also, O my father. But he said, your brother came deceitfully and he has taken away your blessing. And Esau said, is he not rightly named Jacob? Remember, heel grabber, deceiver. Is he not rightly named Jacob? For he cheated me these two times. He took away my birthright and behold, now he has taken away my blessing. Then he said, have you not reserved a blessing for me? Esau confronted with the fact that Jacob has deceived him. And yes, Jacob has acted deceptively. We're going to get to Jacob in a moment. Esau realizing this goes to his father 
and blames two different people for what's happened. The first, and it's really clear in the passage, the first is he's blaming his brother. But do you notice what he blames his brother for? He blames his brother for cheating him how many times? Two times. He says, my brother has cheated me these two times. Did Jacob cheat him two times? Well, go back to Genesis now go back to Genesis 25, when they were younger, maybe even teenagers, Esau comes in from hunting, he's famished, he says he's about to die, and Jacob says, I'll give you, he was cooking, right, lentil stew. He says, I'll give you these, this lentil stew if you'll just give me your birthright. Look at, look at verse 31 of Genesis 25. Sell me your birthright now, Jacob had said. Esau said, I'm about to die. Of what use is a birthright to me? And Jacob said, swear to me now. So he swore to him and sold his birthright to Jacob. Esau willingly gave up his birthright to his brother. Willingly, in that moment, gave it up. And yet now, later in their life, he doesn't say, he doesn't look inside and recognize that he had despised his birthright. He doesn't look and, and evaluate his own life and recognize that he was unworthy of it because he did not value it. No, he simply blames his brother for another deception. But that's not the only person he blames. Look at the end there in verse 36. Then he said, have you not reserved a blessing for me? Esau doesn't just blame Jacob. He blames Isaac. What are you thinking, dad? Did you not keep anything back from me? Did you give it all away to this deceiver, to this heel grabber, to this schemer? Did, did you really give every blessing away? Now you may be asking something. Is there a difference? Because we've used two different words here. Is there a difference between blessing and birthright? Well, yes, there is. They're very similar ideas but they are different words. In the original language, the word that we translate, the Hebrew that we translate into English as birthright and the Hebrew word that we translate into English as blessing are very similar words. They actually just have one vowel sound that's different. That's it. So, so they sound really similar, right? And, they're in and that's, it's intentional because they often kind of go together, but they're not the same thing. The birthright that Esau sold to Jacob all those years before was material possessions primarily. It's, that, it's the right for the older son that, to receive the larger portion of the inheritance. Now, it's not that the older son received everything. In Hebrew culture, fathers were able to divvy out. We already saw Abraham do that with his multiple children. He divvied out blessings to them, sent them away, gave the bulk of it to Isaac. Well, that is what Esau has sold to Jacob for a cup of stew, material blessings. He, he traded in for a bowl of soup that which he would receive later. Now, though, the blessing that we're seeing here is different. The blessing that we're seeing here is specifically tied to the promise of God to Abraham's family. This is spiritual blessing. And while these two things, because they're in the line of Abraham, are connected, in this account, they're kind of separated. And so it's twice that Esau has now lost something. He lost the material blessings of being the oldest son in the line of Abraham and Isaac. And now he's lost the spiritual blessing of being the oldest son in the generations of Abraham and Isaac. And he blames his brother. He's, he's a thief. He stole it from me. 
cheated me, deceived you. But he also blames his father. His father, why didn't you save anything for me? So we see Esau marrying the wrong women. We see Esau refusing to accept responsibility uh, for what has happened in his life. And ultimately, once Esau knows what's happened, he plots to kill Jacob. Look at verse 41. Now Esau hated Jacob because of the blessing with which his father had blessed him. And Esau said to himself, the days of mourning for my father are approaching. Then I will kill my brother. This isn't right away. He's not, he's consumed with hatred, but he's, he, he knows he's his dad's favorite. And there's still earthly possessions to dole out here. And so I'm going to wait. I'm not going to do this while dad's alive. I'm going to, I'm going to wait. But once we've mourned dad, I'm going to kill my brother, Jacob. Genesis 27, again, is in context of this larger book that we've been studying now for over half a year. We go back to the beginning, if you will, the first set of brothers, Cain and Abel. And because of jealousy, right? Because God received the offering of one and rejected the offering of another, what happens? Cain murders Abel. What's Esau doing? He's following in the way of Cain. He's following in the way of sin and death. He is willing now because of his hatred for his brother to kill him. Esau, the oldest, is undeserving of the blessing of God from Isaac. Second, undeserving Jacob. We've seen how Esau was undeserving. So does that mean Jacob's the hero? Does that mean Jacob's justified in his actions? Does that mean that because we know the end of the story that we get to look at this through some sort of tinted glasses and say, well, Jacob's okay in doing what he did. No, Jacob. I think to, not only to rightly understand this passage, but when we get to the end, here's what you're gonna see. To rightly understand what God is doing in this redemptive story, we have to see Jacob in the wrong here. Doesn't mean Esau's right. Esau's wrong too. You know, you can have two parties that are both wrong. They're both wrong. But we need to see Jacob is wrong. So Jacob, we go back to the beginning of the story, plots with his mother to steal the blessing. Go back to verse eight. Now, therefore, my son, obey my voice as I commanded you. Go to the flock and bring me two good young goats so that I may prepare for them delicious food for your father such as he loves. And you shall bring it to your father to eat so that he may bless you before he dies. But Jacob said to Rebekah's mother, behold, my brother Esau is a hairy man and I am a smooth man. Perhaps my father will feel me and I shall seem to be mocking him and bring a curse upon myself and not a blessing. And his mother, mother said to him, let your curse be on me, my son. Only obey my voice and go bring them to me. So here, Rebekah, who favors Jacob, has overheard what's happening as we read at the beginning of the message today and, and schemes and passes this scheme onto her son. And here's what it is. We've, we've got our opportunity. Let's dress you up. Let's put, if we kept reading, we'd see, let's dress you up in his clothes. Let's take some goat skin, put it on your arms so you'll feel hairy, right? Isaac must've been real blind by this point. And I'm gonna, you're gonna, we're gonna cook some food really quick and bring it into him. He's gonna think you're Esau and he's going to bless you. Now, at times, in both Jewish and Christian traditions, as, as commentators have thought about this passage, there have been some attempts to place all of the blame on Rebekah, to, to 
make her out to be the schemer, to kind of redeem Jacob a little bit. Because, I mean, ultimately, he's one of the patriarchs, right? It's Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And we don't want to think badly of him, even though a right understanding of this whole story is there are plenty of reasons to think bad about Abraham, and there's plenty of reasons to think bad about Isaac. But, but some people want to excuse Jacob here. Now, what have we already learned from the last two verses of Genesis 26? By this point, these boys are no longer boys. They are at least 40 years old. They were twins. Esau was 40 when he married these women. We're not told how long he was married to them, but they're at least 40 years old. So listen, I stand before you this morning as a 40-year-old man. And here's what I know. If my mama tells me to do something, I have the ability to say no, right? Because I'm a grown man. I can make my own. Now, should I listen to my mom? Probably. She's a lot smarter than me. She may even be watching right now, right? Mama's a lot wiser than me. I'd probably benefit from listening to her. But I'm a grown, I'm a grown man, okay? I, 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 I go my own way. Jacob here is a grown man. He is not susceptible to uh, manipulation. He shouldn't be at least. As a grown man susceptible to manipulation from his mother. This is not a child. He should recognize, and he does. He recognizes there's consequences, right? He's like, what if he finds us out? And Rebecca says, the curse will be on me. So they all recognize that, that if, if this thing goes wrong, it could go real bad wrong. But we can't place all the blame on Rebecca. They've schemed together, but it's ultimately Jacob who deceives Isaac in order to steal the blessing. Pick up in verse 18. He's put the skin on. He's got his brother's clothes on. He's got this food his mom prepared. So he went into his father and said, my father. And he said, here I am. Here I am. Who are you, my son? Jacob said to his father, I am Esau, your firstborn. I have done as you told me. Now sit up and eat of my game, that your soul may bless me. But Isaac said to him, how is it you found it so quickly, my son? And he answered, because of the Lord your God granted me success. Then Isaac said to Jacob, please come near, that I may feel you, my son, to know whether you are really my son Esau or not. So Jacob went near to Isaac, who felt him and said, the voice is Jacob's voice, but the hands are the hands of Esau. And he did not recognize him because his hands were hairy like his brother Esau's hands. So he blessed him. And he said, are you really my son Esau? And he answered, I am. If you read that previous passage and thought, well, we can blame Rebecca. Let, let's, let's elevate Jacob here. No longer. Rebecca's not in this room, folks. Grown man Jacob has made the choice to deceive his father. And it has worked. You notice just in these, what, six, seven verses, how much deception is here? Who is it? It's I, your, it's Esau, your firstborn. That's lie number one. The next deception, maybe even the worst. Isaac, he says he's dim of eyes. He's not dim-witted. How in the world did you go and hunt so quickly and cook it? How did this happen? What does Isaac say? He says, because the Lord your God granted me success. No, just quickly, this is free, okay? If you've ever wondered what, Thou shalt not take the name of your Lord, the Lord your God in vain in the Ten Commandments. Have you ever wondered what that means? It means this. It means claiming something is of God when it's not. Invoking the name of God when it's sinful. 
all right? That's what taking the name, God's name in vain means. We, we've gotten way twisted in thinking it means something when this is not what it means. This is exactly what Jacob does. He takes the name of God in vain here in this moment. So he's lied to his dad. He's lied about God. Then his dad, who's on to him, he's like, man, that's Jacob's voice. Feels his arms, that's his skin. And then he asks him one more time. Are you really my son Esau? He's given him an out. He's confronted in his sin. And what does Jacob say? I am. I am. The act of deception is all Jacob's. He lies to his father and steals his brother's blessing. So he has schemed with his mother and that scheming has come to fruition and he has now deceived his dad. Esau is undeserving of the blessing of God. And so is Jacob. Neither son is deserving of the blessing that Isaac is going to pass down. And yet there is an irrevocable blessing and a curse spoken in this passage. So after the deception, Isaac inadvertently blesses Jacob. Look, pick up in 26. Then his father Isaac said to him, come near and kiss me, my son. So he came near and kissed him and Isaac smelled the smell of his garments and blessed him and said, see the smell of my son is as the smell of a field that the Lord has blessed. May God give you of the dew of the earth and of the fatness of the earth and plenty of grain and wine. Let people serve you and nations bow down to you. Be Lord over your brothers and may your mother's sons bow down to you. Cursed be everyone who curses you and blessed be everyone who blesses you. Isaac think he's speaking to Esau, blesses Jacob, mirroring the previous generation's blessings that God had given to Abraham and that Abraham had given to Isaac. Isaac now gives to Jacob. It's a blessing of possession. He says, you're going to be blessed in this world. The, the things that you do in this world, it will be obvious, just as it was obvious for the surrounding nations around Abraham. And as we saw last week, the surrounding nations around Isaac, it was obvious that God's hand was on them. And it's going to be obvious that God's hand is on Jacob. But it's also a blessing of dominion. People are going to serve you. Nations are going to bow down to you, even your brothers, even, and, and his descendants, the nation who will become your brother. It's going to serve you. And ultimately, the, the, the repeated words that God had given to Abraham, those who curse you will be cursed and those who bless you will be blessed. This is the spiritual blessing of God upon the third generation of the patriarchs. Abraham, Isaac, and then due to sinful deception, now Jacob. And yes, we started here Genesis 25 has told us that this was God's plan all along. It is, and we hold these things in balance. It was God's plan all along, but it is still sinful deception on the part of Jacob to receive this blessing. But that blessing is now irrevocable. It belongs to him. And later, Isaac restates it. He restates the blessing, actually expanding it even further and sends Jacob away to marry from his mother's family. Pick up in verse 46. Then Rebekah said to Isaac, I loathe my life because of the Hittite women. If Jacob marries one of the Hittite women like these, one of the women of the land, what good will my life be to me? Rebekah's basically, she, by the way, she's heard 
that Esau's plotting to kill him. She's looking for a way out, all right? We're still not really redeeming Rebecca here. She's hating her daughter-in-laws, but she's right, ultimately, that Jacob is not supposed to marry a, a Canaanite woman. He needs to go to her family and marry from there. So we pick up in chapter 28. Then Isaac called Jacob and blessed him and directed him. You must not take a wife from the Canaanite women. Arise, go to Padam Aram, to the house of Bethuel, your mother's father. And take, all, take as your wife from there, one of the daughters of Laban, your mother's brother. God Almighty bless you and make you fruitful and multiply that you may become company of peoples. May he give the blessing of Abraham to you and to your offspring with you that you may take possession of the land of the sojourning that God gave to Abraham. Thus Isaac sent Jacob away and he went to Padam Aram, to Laban, the son of Bethuel, the Aramin, the brother of Rebekah, Jacob, and Esau's mother. Just a couple things. You notice the reiteration of the blessing even more closely mirrors that that God gave to Abraham and Abraham passed down to Isaac. It's a blessing of generations. You're gonna go have a wife and this wife is going to give you many children. I do think it's important to note. I think it's, it's, it's no coincidence. If you know what's coming in the chapters ahead, Jacob goes there and what, hap- what happens? He's deceived by Rebecca's family. He ultimately, in marrying, in seeking to marry a woman, reaps what he sowed against his brother. So, but this is still, this is still an irrevocable blessing. You're gonna go there, you're gonna find a wife, you're gonna have children just as God promised to Abraham and God promised to Isaac. Now God is promising to Jacob and you're going to possess the land that God gave to Abraham. This land, Jacob, will now be your land. So we see blessing, but there is also in this text a curse, an anti-blessing that Isaac gives to Esau. In verse 38, Esau says to his father, have you but one blessing? So he's, he's still pressing dad. Can't you, can, didn't you reserve anything for me? Do you, can you only do it once? Have you but one blessing, my father? Bless me, even me also, O oh my father. And Esau lifted up his voice and wept. And what we see in verse 39 and 40 is really an anti-blessing. It's, it's, a, it's half the length of Jacob's blessing on purpose. There, it contains no appeal to divine help. It's really the exact opposite of what Isaac says to be true of Jacob. He now says to be true of Esau. We read this. Then Isaac, his father, answered him and said, Behold, away from the fatness of the earth shall your dwelling be, and away from the dew of the heaven on high. But your, swore, your sword uh, you shall live, and uh, uh, by your sword you shall live, and you shall serve your brother, and when you grow restless, you shall break his yoke from your neck. He says, you're... You're not going to have the earthly blessings that your brother is now going to have. You're not going to help the, you're not going to have the help of God that your brother has. You're not going to have the promise lived out in your life like your brother had. But he does say this will not be permanent. And ultimately generations and generations later, that proves to be true out of the two nations that descend from Jacob and Esau. So Jacob, Esau, both unworthy. And yet Jacob in his unworthiness receives a blessing. And Esau in his unworthiness receives a curse. So what? The Lord's redemptive plan overcomes our undeserving nature and sinful schemes. We have seen throughout this series in Genesis, the meta narrative of scripture played out before our eyes. Not just the primary narrative of the book of Genesis, but truly the meta narrative of all of scripture. 
that God, for his glory, is working a redemptive plan to redeem a people for himself. It begins chapters ago at the fall and curse of Adam and Eve, where there's this one promise that by having children, eventually in their line would come one who would crush the serpent's head. It's more realized in the life of Abraham where God calls him out of his homeland to go to a land that he will show him, that he will make him a great nation and that through him, all of the nations of the world will be blessed. That promise passed to Isaac and that promise now is passed on to Jacob. This is the story of Genesis and this is the story of scripture. And Genesis 27 contributes significantly to our understanding of God's redemptive plan. In this, neither of these men deserved the blessing. And one of them even sinfully schemed to receive it. And yet, as we've seen so often in Genesis, God does what God is going to do. This is the story. God is ultimately As we said, we've said so often, God is ultimately the primary actor. He's the main character. He's the one bringing about his ends. And our undeservedness and our sinfulness will not stand in the way. It's interesting to note that when you get to the fourth generation, Jacob's children, he marries multiple women as well, like his brother, ends up having a lot of boys, And he has a favorite, just like his dad had a favorite. He had a favorite. And uh, his brothers were really not kind about it, deceived their brother Joseph, sold him into slavery, into Egypt. Ultimately, you know, decades later needing his help. And after Jacob dies, these boys, these men now who were afraid of their brother because of what would be done to them at the very end of Genesis Joseph speaks this, as for you, talking to his brothers, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. This is the story of how God uses sinful people as a part of his plan, that even what is meant for evil in this world, God is bringing about his redemptive plan, which is good. And yes, Jacob, deceiving his brother, can only be see, deceiving his father and stealing the birthright or his blessing from his brother can only be seen as evil. Don't paint it any other way. It's really an important picture for us to understand that Jacob was undeserving. Now, here's what you may say. You may say, okay, I get that. I, I, I understand that, that God is sovereign and that God's not surprised and God's working his plan. Listen, we teach that with fervor here. We are not open theists, meaning we don't believe that God's surprised by what happens tomorrow. God is orchestrating what happens tomorrow. And God's mind's already happened, that God is the one at work. And so we teach that, and I believe as a congregation, we wholeheartedly affirm that idea. But sometimes we have to ask this question, okay, well, if that's true, and we believe it is from the scripture, I still don't really know what that has to do with me. And this is why it's important for us to really see Jacob and Esau as the scripture intends for us to see them, undeserving. Because if we'll see Jacob and Esau as undeserving, and yet God still does what God plans to do, 
then we will see that in our own lives as well. That I am undeserving. That you, my friend, are undeserving of the blessing of God, just like Jacob. And yet God, in his goodness and sovereign grace towards you, redeems you from that pit of undeserving sin. So then after this happens, 14 times in the Old Testament, God is referred to as the God of Jacob. Pastor Brian read one of those places that we see that in the Psalms. It happens 10 times in the Psalms. Most often God's called the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That's more common. And it's not that the, the writers are just trying to shorten that phrase and just taking the last one and saying the God of Jacob, really meaning the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. When we read the term God of Jacob in scripture from this point on, here's the way we should read that. The God of the undeserving, because that is who Jacob is. He is the schemer, the heel grabber, the one who deceived his father and yet still received the blessing. In Psalm 46 is one of those places. We read, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. The God of the undeserving is our fortress. And yet, Verse 11, the God of the undeserving is our fortress, but verse 10 is still true. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. We, like Jacob, wholly undeserving, and yet God will still be exalted. His plan of redemption will come to fruition. No sinful scheme of man will stop it. Nothing about us will keep God from doing what he is going to do because he is doing it in his goodness, not ours. So you say, okay, I'm putting these things together. So what does that really mean? If you're in Christ today, here's what this sermon should do. It should have an incredible humbling effect on our lives because we're Jacob. It's why we fight so often to, to put the blame somewhere else other than Jacob because we don't wanna see Jacob as a bad guy, because we don't wanna see ourselves as the bad guy. But to rightly understand Jacob in this text is to rightly understand myself and to see that I did nothing to deserve the blessing of God and yet in Jesus Christ, he has chosen to bless me anyway. For the person outside of faith in Jesus, hear me. You may ask, well, how do I know? How do I know if, if God is doing that in my life. If you're hearing this today, if, if, if you're within earshot watching with us online, if you're hearing this today and you recognize that you do not deserve the grace of God, then he is drawing you to repentance. And the invitation for you is to come to faith in Jesus because Jesus, the only one who is deserving of all blessing, the only one who could have rightfully sat under the blessing of God did what he did not deserve, die in your place so that we may live. And if you're hearing that right now and for the first time you recognize I cannot do anything on my own to please God, but Jesus did in my place and he offers to me now free salvation. Would you believe that? And if you will, 
The Bible says that God is faithful and just to forgive you your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. He will do that work in you that he has done in so many lives gathered in this room today. This is the story of these undeserving brothers who even though they are sinful, God continues to work his plan of redemption in their lives and in ours. Let's pray together. God, I pray for the Christians in the room that are watching with us that that we would recognize the humility with which we must approach this text, that we too were undeserving. Let this be a reminder to us. For the unsaved, for the one who is not of the faith, let them hear this, God, and see their own sin, their own unrighteousness, their own way that they are Jacob and Esau, and yet you still loved them enough to send Jesus to die in their place. Would they have faith in that today and believe, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.